Good morning, and welcome to the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy's live weekly broadcast. I'm Roberta Oster. Our program brings together Virginia's faith leaders, legislators, policy experts, and community activists. And our guests offer expertise and perspective on critical issues during the COVID-19 pandemic and the continuing fight for racial justice. Through the broadcast, we also share resources and opportunities for you to get involved in our work, advancing social justice and helping our neighbors. Our program keeps you up to date and keeps our elected officials accountable. The Virginia Interfaith Center's mission is to engage people of faith and goodwill in advocating economic, racial, social, and environmental justice. And now to our broadcast. The program is interactive, so please share your opinions and ask questions by writing them in on Facebook during the show. Today, we've brought together two community leaders who will address the complex issues of criminal justice reform. I am pleased to introduce our guests. Delegate Joshua Cole is a Democrat representing the 28th District, which includes part of Stafford, County of Stafford, and part of the City of Fredericksburg. He was elected to the House of Delegates in 2019. He is also associate pastor at the Union Bell Baptist Church in Stafford and president of the Stafford County NAACP. Welcome, Delegate Cole. Thank you. And Valerie Slater is an attorney and executive director of the Rise for Youth Coalition. She was previously a juvenile justice attorney with the Legal Aid Justice Center and has worked to protect the rights of children with disabilities at the Disability Law Center of Virginia. Valerie was also awarded the 2018 Criminal Justice Advocacy Champion Award from the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. Welcome, Valerie. And Thank you so much. Now I am pleased to introduce our moderator, my colleague and friend, Benjamin Hoyne, who is the Policy and Campaigns Director at the Virginia Interfaith Center. Ben? Thanks, Roberta. And again, thank you to our guests and thank you to everyone tuning in online for, for being with us today on this important subject. Um, I want to start with Valerie with you. Um, can you tell us, you know, what has called you to this work? You know, I would say that um, when I was back in Washington State, I am a Seattleite. So um, when I was back in Washington, it was then that as I was searching for my purpose, my place, um, I heard the voice of God. He told me, he says, I have anointed and appointed you to snatch my young people out of the hands of the criminal justice system and to place them into my just hands. And from that call, I have been chasing the voice of God and discovering what that has meant and moving in ways that will indeed transition young people out of trouble and into a path of, of positive um, the way they live and the way that they are able to move and to grow and recognizing their their humanity and their ability to be amazing human beings. And so that was my initial call. And from that moment on, I have just worked to fulfill exactly what I heard the voice of God tell me to do. Thank you. Uh, and Reverend 
Delegate Cole, same question for you. What's what's called you to to work on on justice reform? Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I think it's very key for me um, stepping outside of a political realm. But um, before I was in politics, I've always been a preacher since the age of sixteen, um, and. Th- there's always been two scriptures that have rested um, in my heart. And the Old Testament has said that he, God wants justice to roll down like a mighty stream. And also that he has come to set the captives free and to release them. And so for me, when I think about family members and friends and people that I see every day um, that struggle with the criminal justice system, that struggle with injustices, that struggle with oppression, it's time that we have voices in these seats, these legislative seats, in these congressional seats that can fight for what I say, Lottie Dottie and everybody who have been struggling for so long, who have not had an advocate in these ivory halls to fight for them. And I've taken that upon me to carry that burden to fight for everybody that have not had a voice typically in these great ivory halls. Great. And certainly at the, the Interfaith Center, we are, are thrilled to have uh, such faithful folks that are, are working in this space. Um, the, the topic today is, is criminal justice reform, and that's a, a really broad term that, that means uh, can mean a lot of different things to, to a lot of different folks. And so I, I wanted to get your takes uh, on, on justice reform or criminal justice reform uh, specifically and how it, how it uh, impacts the kind of the work that you do or the, the subject matter that you work on. So uh, Delegate Cole, how does, what does justice reform or criminal justice reform mean for you? So when we think about the word justice, um, I like studying words and seeing where they come from. And uh, the word justice comes from a Hebrew word, tzedakah, which literally means that which is ethically right um, or proper or just judgment. When we think about justice and when we look at uh, the court system, we put hope and trust that the judges and the court system are supposed to do what we believe they're going to do, pass judgment, pass proper judgment and hold people accountable for their actions. But what we see happening now, it has become a legit punishment system where people have been locked away or put away and maybe they're returning citizens and they come home, but they're still not really free. They have this cloud that overshadows them. And so when we talk about true criminal justice reform, if people are serving their time, let them serve their time. And when they come home, let them be able to reintegrate into society and become citizens again. We should not have a cloud over their head. And I had a young man who goes to church, who partners with me, and he does great work with me. And he said to me, I've been home for five years, but it still feels like I'm incarcerated. Um, And so we really have to make sure that when people are incarcerated, when people are put into the system, we help them out. We are rehabilitating them. We are showing them a much better way. And then once they're home, we should make sure that they're no longer penalized for the actions they did in their past. Great. And Valerie, same question to you. So justice, what does justice mean? It means that we are allowing every individual the opportunity to come back from any mistake they make that there is accountability, but that once that accountability, once a person has paid their debt, if you will, to society, that we 
We must allow them then to reintegrate into community. We must make space. We must restore that individual back into our uh, into our fold. So um, when we talk about justice, to me, it's not just the holding accountable, but it's the restoration that must come afterwards. And I know, uh, Delegate Cole, I am echoing what you were just saying. But that's a problem right now. We don't allow that restoration. The other thing I would say is that justice means that we aren't singling out particular groups. We aren't singling out particular uh, genders to enforce uh, accountability at a greater rate than others. So justice means we are just in the way we apply what we do. We are just in the way we are setting standards of accountability and that we aren't weighing them in one way rather than another for some, and we aren't skewing them so that they target a, a, a group other uh, rather than the whole. So that's justice to, to me. Great. And with the, the events of the last six months, three months, what have you, it, it seems like there's an opportunity uh, for some, some transformation of justice. There's certainly been a renewed awakening or, or an initial awakening um, in the United States amongst uh, white folks and, and other people in, in power. Um, what do you think has, has made this moment a catalyst for change and, and are you hopeful, uh, do you expect that the change will, will indeed come in, in the near term? Valerie, let's start with you. So I would say that what made this moment different than any other? You know, when we reflect on the death, the murder of George Floyd, when we think about the callousness with which that individual kneeled on his neck with his hands in his pocket, looking around as if to, to, to just take in the sights of the day, that kind of callous taking of another human being's life, it resonated, it reverberated through our country, through the world. And folks took notice, they had to pause to say, what have we created? What kind of a society have we created where someone could do such a thing on camera and have absolutely no consideration for the life that they are draining, nor for a consequence that there might even potentially be one? I believe that the world said, this will not be so. And so that's what created this movement moment is the reckoning with what have we created that would allow such a thing? And, you know, I, Delegate Cole, I will leave it to you now to answer that thing. Um, that was a great segue. Thank you, Valerie. Um, I've been sharing with people as we've been out here um, at different protests and at different events, um, you know, they're shouting, they're chanting, we need to fix the system, uh, we need to reform, blah, 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 blah. And I've been telling them, I said, we don't necessarily have to fix the system because the system has been doing exactly what it was created to do. It was created to hold certain groups of people and certain people and certain individuals down. What we need to do is create a brand new system. 
Um, and so what we're seeing now is the culmination of the shouts and the cries of people who have been dealing with police brutality. We are seeing the cries and the shouts of the people who are seeing injustices, whether it's economically or educational wise. And now they're saying we are tired and we are fed up of being treated this way. And so while we think uh, the, 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 we thank God and we thank the, 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 the channels that pulled together while we had to lose George Floyd, while we had to lose Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade, all of this worked together to get us to a place to say their lives weren't lost in vain. We have to change the system that was created to fight against individuals and to hold certain individuals down. And that's where we are right now. And how do I see change? I can start just by saying that the General Assembly is going to be called back into a special session in August. So we need everybody to come together and start advocating for criminal justice reform, reform to make sure that people, all people, teachers, African-Americans, Latino-Americans, everyone is respected and treated well when it comes to COVID relief situations, when it comes to criminal justice reform, when it comes to housing, all of these issues are intertwined together. You know, So we have to fight for everything and we can't just pinpoint housing, we can't just pinpoint jobs, everything works together and we have to fight together to make sure that everyone is treated fairly, equally and equitably. Thank you. And Valerie, what do you what do you see Virginia needing um, at this moment, in addition to what uh, Delegate Cole mentioned and and frame it in a from a public policy standpoint? Um, what do you see potentially happening in, in the in the near term uh, to affect change? You know, I know that in this moment, we absolutely need to dismantle some things because the system, as Delegate Cole eloquently stated, it is working as it was intended. And so we must dismantle uh, the, the, the structural racism that has been built into the way our systems work at this moment. And so what we've got to do is we've got to go in and legislatively, we've got to start tearing down those things like um, the uh, the uh, the abolition of parole when we know that it is disproportionately individuals of color that end up in prison. So and and that we are throwing lives completely away when we say you know we're going to give you these outrageous sentences and there is no opportunity for you to have redeemed yourself and to come back into society. We've got to get rid of things like. Um, trying children for uh, so many, there are so many crimes for which children now are tried as adults and they can be automatically transferred or it is at the uh, Commonwealth attorney's uh, discretion to transfer or the judge's discretion to transfer this child and to treat them as an adult. And then we, you know, while we have a case, you know, um, that says it's cruel and unusual to give a child life without parole, we have not fully addressed that issue, not in Virginia, not in the nation. And so we've got to stop throwing away children's lives before they ever have an opportunity to really begin to live. We've got to start dismantling all of those pieces of our justice system that has already been weighted against individuals of color and giving everyone an opportunity to come back from mistakes. Everything doesn't require a hammer. Sometimes, you know, a, a tap on the shoulder will do, 
So why are we using our heaviest tools, our heaviest equipment against individuals who oftentimes just need a redirect? And so we have got to dismantle our criminal justice system as it exists and build in some opportunities for folks to truly rehabilitate. And Delegate Cole, how do you see that, that playing out, the dismantling of the system, whether it's in the special session in, in August, continuing on to next year? What, how do you envision that process? Yeah, I, I think where we are, Ben, um, that for years we've had uh, certain people who sat in these seats uh, that did not have issues or concerns or knew people who had issues or concerns, so they didn't pass legislation that would help people out. Um, as relates to criminal justice reform. So what we're looking at now, um, we have a bill that's coming up in the special session that would push for automatic expungement uh, for any cases that were acquitted, dismissed, or considered no lay prosequi. Um, and these are all cases where people uh, were not charged with anything. They didn't serve any time. And so for anyone who has these cases, they still have to go back to court, use the money again, take time off of work, and try to get those cases expunged. Um, and so for these people, if they didn't serve any time, they didn't have any issues, the things were dismissed, there's no reason why we have to put them through the system all over again just to get expungement. So those are the type of things we want to look at. Um, we want to look at uh, school resource officers, um, and we want to make sure that school resource officers are, some are doing a great job, they are awesome um, advocates and they're awesome role models in our school system, but they are not disciplinarians. Um, and so we know just a couple of years ago, Virginia was number one in the nation for the school to prison pipeline. Uh, we've since scaled down, so that's, that's good, but we still don't want to be in the top 10. Um, and so we want to make sure that these school resource officers are not the disciplinarians in the school. And, and I'm not talking about something that I've heard. I'm talking about what I've seen working in the Richmond public school system, how a police officer would handcuff a child because of screaming and hollering and escort them out only for them to return the next day uh, for their friends to talk about, oh, you went out, you got cuffed yesterday. Um, and that's bringing a mentality of criminality to our students. Um, and we should be breeding a mentality of success in them, not that they can be citizens or even school resource officers who would say to them, you turn 18 next week, I got you next week. We have to make sure that we're encouraging our students to be great, to succeed, and not to think that they're going to be the next criminals, just like, you know, who surrounds them or in their community. We also uh, want to take a look. I've been working with Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy for the legalization of marijuana. We have the data that proves that Black and Brown people are systemically affected more as it relates to arrests and um, and uh, charges than our white friends and brothers and sisters that we have. So we want to make sure we're taking a look at that and bringing sincere reform there. So those are just three issues that I'm looking at within this special session and moving forward into January. These are, as I say, readily easable, accessible things things we can change. And uh, you'll see us fighting for that really hard these next two sessions. Great. And Valerie, I know you're you're certainly deeply involved in school resource officers and, and eliminated the school to prison pipeline. And, and one of the issues uh, that it, additional issues that the General Assembly can be taking up is, is budgetary stuff. Certainly with, with COVID, uh, the governor unallocated a lot of funding, um, you know, a few months back, and now there's potentially going to be some reallocation uh, we've seen the 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 large budgets for for policing in addition to to school resource officers. So maybe can you talk about what that would look like to kind of get school resource officers out of school or or reduce the amount and and, and how the the funding could go to counselors or or, or somewhere else. 
Sure. I really like what Delegate Cole just shared, you know, that we've got to make sure that officers are not being disciplinarians. You know, so I am of the school that resource officers should not, there should not be police officers in school. What we need to fund is every kind of support that a child would need. So we recognize that there are some children that are living in um, communities that are in need of significant resource influx as well. They're in need of significant uh, transformation as well. And so if we know that children are under tremendous stress and they're coming into school school with in, in fight or flight mode because they are experiencing different traumas throughout their their own world, their own life, we can't then throw an officer at them and, you know, allow them to then be criminalized, to be re-traumatized. So we've got to make sure that we are funding counselors. We've got to fund whatever programs are necessary. We often say uh, counselors and um and uh, social workers, but there are so many other programs that could come into play to support young people. And while I, I love to hear what uh, we adults have to say about it, if we really want to know what is going to be most effective in supporting young people, we've got to listen to those young people and hear from them. What are the uh, experiences that they're having and what would be the most, um, productive uh, supports that we can put into place for them. And we ought to have the money at the ready to make sure that we are funding those very things. When we go into some of our communities, our kids are not they are not at a loss for places to go to have fun. They are not at a loss for uh, folks to talk to if they find themselves in trouble. They're not at a loss for any of those resources, no matter what they may be. We need to take a, to take a lesson from what we have allowed to be constructed in some of the better off neighborhoods and better off school districts, and then apply that same that same template, that same idea that we are not going to um, hold back from any expense to make sure that the young people in every school district, in every community is supported in the way that they need to be. But in order to really know what that looks like, we've got to ask the young people themselves. Great. Uh, Delegate Cole, anything to add on on the, the challenges and barriers facing young people? Obviously with, with COVID, there's there's food insecurity challenges pre-COVID. There's educational challenges with schools being closed and, and unknowns coming into the future and, and the lack of reliable broadband and other things for, for virtual education. Um, jobs, just it's hard to find jobs for young people right now. It's hard to find jobs for, for parents as well. And uh, what are some of the challenges that are facing young people out there? Um, and, and thank you for that. Um, and I think it's very important. Thank you, Valerie, for raising up the voices of our young people. They do need to be listened to. Um, and I remember when I was growing up, me and my mom would have arguments and I would say all the time, you don't listen to me. Or I would say this famous phrase that my mom would mock me for all the time. One day the world will learn to listen to me. Um, because I felt as a young person, our parents or our older friends and family members didn't listen. Um, and so as we're looking at the challenges for someone who works in the school system still, uh, like you said, food insecurities are there. I've been working locally with a group called Stafford Food Security who has been helping out uh, feeding families in Stafford County Schools. We have the schools that feed uh, three times 
or sometimes every day throughout the week to make sure that their students are getting food. Um, you said jobs. There are some who have lost their jobs who are working in high school because they had to help their parents pay their bills. Um, so there are a lot of issues we're seeing them face right now. And then on top of that, you have children whose only escape from reality was school. Their only escape to have safety and security was at school. They had teachers who looked out for them. They had friends who were their source of, 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 of joy. And now they're having to stay at home. And a lot of the issues that we see our students act out upon at school is not really because they're bad students. It's not really because they are, they're having issues. It's because they're having issues at home and they're acting out on it at school. This is how sad to say some of our students are you know, becoming emotionally disturbed because of the issues and the problems they ha have at home. And so now for the past couple of months, they have been stuck in those environments and they have not had the release like they normally have for getting to school. So we do have to consider that. We have to honor that. And another problem that I'm seeing now is because we're still stuck in this COVID season, we're seeing a lot of our summer programs being canceled as well. So we have to find other ways to make sure that our young people are staying active, they're staying incorporated, and they're being looked out for both emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Right. Um, and Valerie, you know, one of the, the benefits that we have at the Interface Center is we have a lot of active members from across the state many of whom are retired or, or have uh, extra time on their hands and, and they, they like to engage their, their lawmakers, their legislators, local general assembly, what have you. Um, what are some ways that, that we at the Interface Center, our members across the state, what are some ways that, that we can help? So, so right now, one of the things that Rise for Youth is doing, we are, for the month of July, we are in our virtual juvenile justice parade. Every year we have hosted an annual justice parade and it's always been a huge event. We're in the streets, usually on a first Friday in, in the fall. And this month we have made it virtual because we have also, we are also about to launch our Youth Development Academy. And we, we were going to launch it this June, but because of COVID, we pushed it to next June. But it'll be six months of training for young people in every area of advocacy. It's going to be giving them the opportunity to explore advocacy in its many arenas of social justice, economic justice, uh, environmental justice, racial justice, and uh, criminal justice. And then we are creating internships for our young people. So they will train for six months, then they will have six months of internships, and those internships are paid. And so we are, through our uh, virtual justice parade, we are raising money to fund those internships. We are going to be paying these young people $1,000 a month so that they can do what it is that they have found a passion to do, to better their communities, to better their families, to better, their, to, to better the world. And so we're asking folks, could you go to our website, riseforyouth.org, and click on the link, go to our, um, our fundraising page, create your own peer-to-peer -peer fundraiser, and then ask your friends, your family, your networks to donate as you walk a mile for justice, because we're calling this the extra mile. We have all got to be willing to go the extra mile for juvenile justice. And with your donations, with the donations of your friends and your family, we'll be able to create 15 six-month paid internships for young people. And these are young people that are going through all of the things that we have talked about, they have come from every one of those backgrounds. And some, maybe not, 
Maybe they have not lived a challenged life, but nevertheless, we want to make sure that our leaders of tomorrow, our leaders of right now, it is the young people that we are raising up that they have hearts that are towards the people. They have hearts and minds that are towards justice, that they are not going to assimilate into a broken system, but they are gonna demand the dismantling and the building of a system that is truly just for all. So again, if you'll just go to our website, you can take full advantage of helping us raise the funds that it will take to fund these internships for these young people. But you know what? We're also heading into special session. And so you've got to make sure that you know exactly what bills are coming up. How can we dismantle what is? How can we get behind what is actually going to do right by all. Delegate Cole, um, he mentioned the uh, marijuana justice. I'm going to tell you what, and this is the last thing I'm going to share. The, the way the, uh, the, um, the marijuana, uh, what is it, decriminalization bill, the way it's written, it tells, uh, it, it says that juveniles, now all of a sudden children, there are new crimes created for children. How about that? While we're saying that we are going to decriminalize this, what we have actually done is created another level of involving children in the justice system. And when we know already that it is impacting children of color more than it is any other, we have literally created the, the, the perfect storm, right? Where children of color can continue to influx into the justice system with brand new crimes created just for them. I say we must, we must lift the prohibition on marijuana. If we aren't ready to fully legalize it, at least lift the prohibition. Because with the prohibition lifted, then all of a sudden you can't arrest anyone for it. So, you know, I, I'm gonna stop there. There are so many things that we can do, but I'm gonna tell you that you also, could you sign up for the newsletter for um, for the uh, Virginia Interfaith Center? Sign up for their newsletter because you're going to get so much great information about all of these things that not only what we're talking about now, but so many more. So those are just a couple of things that I know that you can do. So go to our website, riseforyou.org. That's that's great, Valerie. And and yes, we'll we'll certainly try to keep folks uh, informed of, of everything we can at the Virginia Interfaith Center website. I do want to just commend you for having all those paid internships. All too often we, we see, uh, certainly in, in Richmond, I, I lived in Washington, D.C., uh, so many unpaid internships, which really limits the amount of, of folks that have the ability to, to work for free. And so um, kudos to Rise for Youth. I really want to commend you all for having those, those paid internships. It really helps uh, broaden the, the access uh, for folks that, that can really uh, affect change in our Commonwealth. So that's wonderful. Um, Delegate Cole, how about you? What are ways that, that folks watching right now, folks from the Virginia Interface Center Network can, can help, whether at the special session or, or elsewhere? Um, the Speaker of the House, uh, Speaker Eileen Philicorn, has put together a joint committee, uh, the House Courts of Justice and the House Public Safety. Um, and we're going to be doing three listening sessions between this month and August. I don't have the dates just yet, but Ben, I'll make sure that you all get them. Um, but we'll be coming on Zoom and we'll be having listening sessions to talk about criminal justice reform and police accountability steps. And people can just come in and testify before the committee to talk about uh, what they want to see done in this special session. So before we even get to the special special session, people can put their input. So as a member of the Public Safety Committee, I would love to hear your input and what many people have to say. 
Um, as Valerie stated, it's time to get ready for the special session now. Don't wait until the dates are released. We're still waiting the dates. We know it's going to be sometime in August, maybe early September. But now is the time to start getting prepared. The Senate Democratic Caucus has released their agenda for criminal justice reform. The House, uh, the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus, we've released our platform for criminal justice reform. I've also released my personal platform for criminal justice reform. So you can Google, you can go online, you can find these platforms and these agendas. And if it's something that you really care about and you are sincere about, start emailing your delegate and your state senator now and say, hey, we need you to push for this. We need you to vote in favor of this. Now is the time to get working because whenever the dates hit, we're going to hit hard running and we may not have time to try to negotiate and talk to each other. We're going to have to get to Richmond and get to work. Um, so now is the time to start paying attention to what's out there. And let's see what we can do. It's time to get motivated. It's time to mobilize. You have all these people all around Virginia who are protesting, who are who are being activists. And so now when those dates hit, we need y'all to activate and get down to Richmond and be here present to testify before the committees or get on Zoom and testify before the committees as well. Great. And I encourage folks right now that are watching on, on Twitter or elsewhere to go to our Facebook page and, and ask a question if you would like. Uh, we've got time for a few questions um, from uh, Facebook. And our first one comes from Dora Muhammad and wants to know what your thoughts on creating trauma-informed schools are. So I don't know who would like to take that. You know, I, I'll go first on that one. You know, that is such an important question and such it's needed, right? We have children who are, they are experiencing traumas you know, in their homes, on the way to school, on the bus to school, once they get to school. And so if we begin to operate, recognizing that children have experienced things that are harming their ability to actually access learning. And if we then take the time to begin to work through those things, you know, if we think of it as, you know, we've got to get through the bushes and, and, and if we want to get into the grove where the fruit is, you know, we've got to take the time to move the bushes aside, trim them back, move through and get into where the fruit is. Right. So with that analogy, how about we take the time to move through all work through all of those things that are creating these barriers around our children's minds that are. Uh, uh, keeping them from being able to truly access learning. If they are constantly in fight or flight, if they are constantly trying to work through, oh my goodness, how am I going to take care of my sibling? How am I going to help take care of our home? How am I going to keep myself safe as I navigate my community? How am I going to make sure that there's food on the table? Am I going to have my next meal? If we can work through all of those traumas, all of those experiences that are keeping our children from accessing learning and putting them then in the place where they can truly just sigh, whew, I'm here to learn. And that's the only thing on my mind. That's when we will have children, no matter what community they live in, that are beginning to demonstrate that uh, demonstrate how great they are. And every child is greatness. And it's up to us to help them realize it and to begin to operate in it. And that's one of the ways that we absolutely can. Great. That's that's right on, Valerie. Um, another question we have from Amanda Silcox is how do we shift public opinion away from punitive actions uh, towards a more a restorative justice system? Um, 
That's a good question. And I've actually been dealing with that myself here um, in the current times that we're in. It's, it's just been frustrating watching the comments on social media, um, people who say what they really believe and feel about certain groups of people. Um, and literally just yesterday, there was someone who made a comment um, on our social media post about this, you know, who called someone in the criminal justice system, they said, these cretins, um, if you've never had to struggle with something, or you've never had a family member uh, that has been through the system, maybe you don't care, or maybe uh, it doesn't matter to you. But we all have to have a mentality that we're treating everybody equally. Um, and just because what somebody did in the past doesn't make who they are today. Um, and we have to make sure that we're treating everybody. So how do we shift um, the public opinion? That's a that's an interesting that's an interesting take because I wish I knew how to change everybody's mind. Um, but there are some people that we can have conversations with. There are some people whose minds we can change. And for those of us who have the mental capacity, the emotional capacity to have these hard conversations, it's our job to do that. Not everybody has the emotional and the mental capacity to have hard conversations to try and shift the narrative. But for those of us who do, like me, like Valerie, like you, Ben, it's our job to make sure we're having these hard conversations with our family members and with our friends and tell them, just because you feel that way about somebody doesn't mean that's a valid feeling. Um, just because you think that's how people should be treated, that everybody doesn't deserve to be treated that way. May I add just a little on that? I just Please. want to add what Delegate Cole, you're so right. You know, we can begin having those conversations with our family members, but then I also encourage, let's bring some credible messengers along with us because oftentimes people have thrown away the, the key on, on folks without even knowing them, right? They have decided that, you know, your worst moment in life defines you. But if we give them the opportunity and oftentimes without their, their, their even knowing, have a conversation with someone that you respect and then find out what their story is. What have they been through? What have they overcome? And then all of a sudden you recognize that restoration, it's a must. We would, we would have lost some of our greatest minds had we thrown everyone away. And so, you know, and then some of us, where would we be if our worst moment had been captured? So we have got to make sure that as, as we are, you know, having those tough conversations, that we are bringing those credible messengers. And if we ourselves are credible messengers, that we put it out there, right? I've overcome my own challenges. You know, wh wh what do you not know about me that makes you think so highly of me rather than recognizing, you know what? I am just as human as the next, you know, he, if you're without sin, please go ahead and cut toss that first stone. Go ahead. Yeah, that's 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 right to the point. I mean, we've we've all sinned in our life. Um, you know, I, I've often said that I, I I'm blessed that there was not school resource officers when I was in middle school. I mean, you know, the I, I got into fights and, and that sort of stuff, and and it was you know an in-school suspension or or something like that. And, and had there been the criminal justice system as, as a part of the school, who knows what, what that would have led to. So, um, you know, kids today are facing challenges that, that people of my generation didn't have to face um, with, with the lack of, of social media and photos and, and all that sort of stuff and 
a lack of school resource officers. And so I think we all need to look in the mirror and recognize that the the blessings that we had and how things can be different for for other folks. Um, ben, I wanted to jump in real quick just to yes. just to piggyback off what Valerie said. It's so it's so key and very imperative that we have the right messengers. Um, and so I, I carry a different story um, because when I grew up in Stafford County Public Schools, I had nothing but great experiences with our school resource officers. Um, and some of which still live in the district and many of them voted for me. So I'm excited about that. Um, but they were there as role models when I was growing up. They weren't there as a disciplinarian. So, you know, they checked up on us. They would say, hey, are you are you okay? You good? Or what's going on? Come talk to me. They would pull us aside. And I think we need to get back to that mentality, that the school is not a place where you find yourself getting caught up in a criminal justice system, but the place where you are nurtured, you are cared for, and then you are pushed out to be the greatness that you are. Great. And I think there was a, another question that, that popped up on the screen from Ann Murphy, are there jurisdictions in Virginia that seriously that are seriously employing restorative justice in their local uh, model? And can we incentivize restorative justice usage? So I don't know if, if either of you are aware of that. So I know that they are attempting to put restorative justice practices within Richmond Public Schools. Um, now, I know that's not the criminal justice system, but, you know, un unfortunately, Richmond Public Schools, there are a couple of uh, middle schools and high schools where um, it, it, you could literally call it a feeder into uh, court services unit and then into detention and to juvenile prison. And so for those those particular schools to now be employing uh, restorative practices, that's promising. Um, do we have the data yet to say it's working so well and we can use this as a model? No, but I would say even if we don't have a model yet to use, that shouldn't stop us. That shouldn't deter us from broadening our use of such, uh, you know, restorative practices. They are empowering to uh, uh, the harmed party, whereas our criminal justice system is not. Right. We we don't ask a harmed party. How would you like this situation handled? Right. We have a system of laws that dictates how we are going to treat individuals. And at no point are we considering the harmed party and how they are um, restored. And so restorative practices say let's make central the harmed party. Let's then bring in the, the, the person who has caused that particular harm. And then there's circles around them so that we can bring restoration to the whole, right? Restore the community, restore the classroom, restore the school. And so for, I believe that we ought to broadly use these practices and stop relying so much on laws that are so rigid and that, you know, like I said, don't take into account the the human nature of harm, right? That there is a person and there is a, uh, you know, there's someone who has been harmed. There is an individual who has caused it. And there are communities that are, are, are feeling the reverberations of those harms. And how do we restore that? Thanks. I guess maybe we have time for one more question and we're getting one from Vicki that's just interested, I think, in what restorative justice is, and, and maybe we should have uh, prefaced it with that. So, uh, Valerie or Joshua, do you want to just explain 
what restorative justice is and, and how it could how it could look in in the Commonwealth? I think uh, Valerie can explain it better than I can. I'll give an example, but she can explain it. <laughs> so for the explanation purposes, I will say restorative justice. And, and I'm going to um, keep using restorative practices because there are, are different ways in which um, restorative practices function. Restorative justice is one of them. So restoration, it means bringing back, bringing, um, an, um, bringing someone back into the whole. So restoration means something has been broken and you want to bring it back to wholeness. And so in restorative practices, you are once again, making central the, the harmed party and you are bringing them face to face with the, the individual or individuals who have caused that harm. And you are allowing the harmed party to talk about what, what they experienced when this harm happened to them. It gives them the opportunity to talk about, you know, not just in that moment what happened to them, but what continues to be the consequence or, or, or the, uh, yeah, the collateral consequences of that particular uh, something that has happened. And then it allows that harmed, the, the person who has called, caused that harm, it allows them to respond. It allows them to apologize. It allows them to ask, how do I restore you? And how can I now be restored to the wholeness that, that, that existed before I broke this, before I broke the wholeness, what can I do to be restored? And it allows the circles, right? The family or whoever is close to the harmed party. It allows them to speak up and to talk about how they have been impacted by what has happened to this individual. And it allows those around the, the family or the, the uh, supports of the person who caused the harm, it allows them to speak up and talk about what led to this, what, what their part in it was. But then, the beauty of it is, is you don't just spend a bunch of time hashing out what went wrong and what harm happened. You then begin to do the building of how do we grow from this place? How do we heal from this place? You know, if we have hit ground zero and we have cleaned it up, what do we build that is new, that is stronger, that is better, and that brings back a wholeness that is, you know, whenever you break a bone, when it heals, chances are you'll never break that same place again because it heals up stronger than it was even before the break happened. And so restorative practices allow us to do exactly that. It allows us to take an incident of brokenness and restore in such a way that everyone comes back to wholeness, but that wholeness is even stronger because there's a greater understanding of both the, the one who has been harmed and the harmed party and their circles of influence and of family and of supports. So that's restorative practices in kind of a nutshell. Delegate Cole, anything to add? I was just going to say that when I worked in the Richmond public school system, just to give an example of some of the things they used to do. So, um, you know, if you were caught vandalizing in the bathroom, they would make you come in on Saturday. You would sit down and talk with the janitors and figure out, you know, what their responsibility for cleaning the school was. And then you would clean it up, having the discussion with them to find out why this impacted their job and why it was important for you to clean up. Uh, but then say you were caught bullying a student with handicap with, with, uh, who, who was disabled or, or things like that. They would make sure you would have communication with that student to understand how that student felt.
out when you make fun of them. And then guess what? That wasn't the end. Then you became their mentor and you helped them out for the next couple of days to walk with them to understand their struggle and what they were dealing with. And that was the first uh, encounter I had with restorative justice when I first started working in the Richmond school system back in 2016. That's great. And I, I think it's it's really fitting that on a, the Interfaith uh, Center's program, we're, we're ending on this topic. I mean, Valerie, when you were explaining restorative justice as, as breaking something down uh, and, and then building it back up better, it really, to me, it felt like you were describing a, a faith journey for, for so many of us. So uh, I think that's it's appropriate to, to end on that. Uh, I want to thank you both very much for joining. Uh, certainly the first of many conversations we're going to have on, on criminal justice and and restorative justice and, and justice overall in the coming months and, and years ahead. Um, Doug Cole wanted to give you a, a chance for a final comment. Again, Ben, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy for having this wonderful discussion. And thank you for allowing us to illuminate our minds and open up our minds to what needs to happen. Um, this is just the beginning. And as I've been sharing with many people, uh, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, some change happens overnight. Some change is slow. And we're prayerful that this won't be a slow change that won't happen in our lifetime. We want to see these changes implemented now. We want to see people restored now. We want to see people respected now. So we have a lot of work to. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of the General Assembly specifically during this time to get those things accomplished. And I know we have great work ahead of us. So thank you for being partners in the in the fight with us. And thank you for journeying with us. We really appreciate you all. Thank you. Valerie Slater, I'll give you the last word. I also want to just say thank you so much. I am so grateful to have been included in this conversation. You're right, Delegate Cole, it is so timely. Now is the time for change. And while we aren't able to run quickly through all of these changes, we need to, for some of it, we do need to take our time and make sure that we are making changes that are going to have collateral consequences that are going to be positive and not negative on everyone. And so during this time, I just encourage everyone to continue to be prayerful, to, you know, but then turn that prayer into action, right? Learn what the, what are the moves that you can take? Who are you calling? Who are you going to be writing letters to? Who are you going to be texting to make sure that the greatest number of Virginians are making their voices heard and, and demanding that positive change is made. And finally, I just want to say, please support our next generation, support young people, make sure that their internships are funded, make sure that you, you when you see that young person of color walking down the street, say hello, smile, let that young person know that you see them, you respect them, you are not afraid of them. Let's dismantle even some of the ways that we have been trained to think about people. Let's humanize everyone and love on everyone and let, and let Virginia be the beacon. Let us be the beacon for change and positivity that the rest of the country can follow. Right. And just one more reminder, as Valerie mentioned, the is it riseforyouth.org for the um, funding the the internships? That's and exactly right. That's exactly right. right. When you go to Rise for Youth and you hit donate now, it's going to take you to our fundraising page, which is all about our virtual justice parade right now. 
Great. And certainly we encourage you to go to the virginiainterfacecenter.org, sign up for our newsletter. We'll be keeping you informed on, on these top, topics and, and all other uh, justice, justice topics that we're working on at the General Assembly and throughout the Commonwealth. So again, thank you to both of our guests. We really appreciate this, this wonderful conversation. Thanks to everyone for tuning in online. And, and we look forward to seeing you again. I'm sure there's a program uh, next week, uh, next Thursday at 11, as we've been doing um, just about every Thursday at 11 during this uh, quarantine period. So thanks again, everyone, and have a blessed day.